Section 75 of Lay Down Your Arms by Berta von Sutner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lay Down Your Arms, translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 18, Part 3. Sida. The Emperor Napoleon has given up his sword. The news overwhelmed us. Now there had really occurred a great unhistorical catastrophe. The French army beaten, its leader checkmated. Then the game was over, won triumphantly by Germany. Over, over, I shouted. If there were people who have the right to call themselves citizens of the world, they might illuminate their windows today. If we had temples of humanity, yet to dames would have to be sung in them. On this occasion, the butchery is over. Do not rejoice too soon, my darling, said Frederick in a warning tone. This war has now for some time lost the character of a game fought out on the chessboard of the battlefield. The whole nation is joining in the fight. For one army annihilated, ten others will start out of the earth. But would that be just? It is only German soldiers who have forced themselves into the country, not the German people, and so they ought only to oppose them with French soldiers. How you keep on appealing to justice and reason, you unreasonable creature, in dealing with a madman. France is mad with pain and rage, and from the point of view of loss of country, her pain is pious, her rage justifiable. Whatever desperate thing she may do now is inspired not by personal self-seeking, but by the highest spirit of sacrifice. If only the time were come when the powers of virtue, which is the essential thing that binds men together, were diverted from the work of destruction and devoted to the work of felicity. But this unholy war has again thrown us back a long distance from that goal. No, no, I hope the war is over now. If it were so, and I despair of it, there would be sown the seeds of future wars, and it could only be the seed of hatred which is contained in this expulsion of the Germans. Such a thing as that has an effect far beyond the present generation. September 4th, another act of violence, an outbreak of passion, and at the same time a remedy, tried for the salvation of the country. The emperor is deposed. France proclaims herself a republic. Whatever Napoleon III and his army may have done matters not. Mistakes, treachery, cowardice, all these faults have been committed by individuals. The emperor and his generals, but France has not committed them. She's not answerable for it. When the throne was overturned, the leaves in France's history, on which Metz and Sedan were inscribed, were simply torn out of the book. From this time the country itself would carry on the war, if at least Germany dared to continue this infamous invasion. But how, if Napoleon had conquered, I asked, when Frederick communicated this to me? Oh, then France would have taken his victory and his glory as the country's victory and glory. Is that just? Can not you get out of the habit of putting that question? I had soon to see my hopes that the catastrophe of Sedan would put an end to the campaign vanish. All around us seemed as warlike as ever. The air was laden with savage rage and hot lust of vengeance, rage against the enemy and almost as much against the fallen dynasty. The scandalous talk, the pamphlets which now poured down against the emperor, the empress, and the unfortunate generals, the contempt, the slanders, insults, suggests it was disgusting. In this way the uncultured masses thought they could lay the whole burden of the defeats of the country on the shoulders of one or two persons, and now that these persons were down, pelted them with dung and stones, and this was the beginning of the time when the country was to show that she was invincible. 
the preparations for entrenching paris were carried on zealously the buildings in the fighting area of the chief enceinte were abandoned or taken down entirely the suburbs became deserts troops of men kept coming from outside into the city with all their belongings oh those sorrowful trains of carts and pack-horses and laden men who were trailing the ruins of their desolated hearths through the streets i had already seen the same thing once in bohemia when the poor country folk were flying from the enemy and now i had to look on the same picture of wretchedness in the joyous brilliant capital of the world there were the same frightened sorrowful visages the same weariness and haste the same woe at last god be praised once more a good piece of news on the proposal of a mediation on the part of england a meeting was arranged at ferrieres between jules favre and bismarck now surely they would succeed in coming to an agreement in making peace on the contrary it was not till now that the extent of the gulf was seen for some little time before this there had been some talk in the german papers of the annexation of alsace and lorraine a desire was shown to incorporate once more the land which had formerly been german the historical argument for the claim on these provinces appearing only partially sustainable the strategic argument was brought forward to support it indispensable as a fortress in future wars which may be expected and it is well known of course that the strategic grounds are the weightiest the most impregnable and that in comparison with them a moral ground can only reckon as secondary on the other hand the war-game had been lost by france was it not fair that the prize should fall to the winners in case they had won would not the french have seized the rhine provinces if the result of a war is not to have for its consequence an extension of territory for one side or the other what good would it be to make war at all meantime the victorious army made no halt in its onward march the germans were already before the gates of paris the cession of alsace and lorraine was officially demanded to which came the well-known reply quote, not an inch of our territory not a stone of our fortresses pas un pouce pas une pierre unquote. yes yes thousands of lives but not an inch of ground that is the rooted idea of the patriotic spirit they wish to humble us cried the french patriots no sooner shall exasperated paris bury itself under its own ruins away away was now our resolution why should we stay in a beleaguered foreign city without any necessity why live among people full of no other thoughts than those of hate and vengeance who looked at us with sidelong glances and often with clenched fists when they heard us talking german it is true we could no longer leave paris or leave france without difficulty one had in all directions to pass over war districts the railway traffic was frequently suspended for private travellers to leave our new building in the lurch was unpleasant but this was of no consequence for our stay was impossible in fact we had already stayed far too long the events which i had experienced recently had shaken me so much that my nerves had suffered grievously from it i was seized often with shivering and once or twice also with crying fits our boxes were already packed and everything prepared for departure when i had another attack and this time so violent that i had to be carried to bed the physician who was sent for said that either a nervous fever or even an inflammation of the brain was commencing and for the present it was not to be thought of to expose me to the fatigues of travelling i lay in bed for long long weeks only a very dreamy recollection of that whole time remains with me and strangely enough a pleasant recollection i was it is true very ill and everything in the place where i resided was unceasingly mournful and terrible and yet when i look back on it it was a singularly joyful time 
Yes, joy, perfectly intense joy, such as children are in the habit of feeling. The cerebral affection which I was suffering and which brought with it an almost continuous absence, or at least only half presence of consciousness, caused all thoughts and judgments, all reflections and deliberations to vanish out of my head, and there remained only a vague enjoyment of existence, just like that which children experience, as I said just now, and especially those children who are tenderly watched over. There was no want of tender watching for me. My husband, thoughtful and loving and untiring, was with me day and night. He brought the children also often to my bedside. How much my Rudolf had to tell me. For the most part I did not understand it, but his beloved voice sounded to me like music, and the babbling of our little Sylvia, our heart's idol. How sweetly that began to charm me. Then there were a hundred little jokes and intelligences between Frederick and me about the tricks of our little daughter. What these jokes were about I have quite forgotten, but I know that I laughed and enjoyed myself quite unrestrainedly. Each one of the customary jests seemed to me the height of wit, and the oftener repeated the more witty and more precious, and with what delight did I not swallow the draughts given me, for every day at a given hour I took a glass of lemonade. Such nectar— I have never tasted during my whole life of health, and how entirely refreshing was a medicine with opium in it, whose softly soothing action, putting me into a conscious slumber, sent a thrill of happy calm through my soul. I knew all the while that my beloved husband was by my side, protecting me and watching over me as his heart's dearest treasure. Of the war, which was raging at my door, I had now hardly any cognizance, and if for all that some remembrance of it flashed on me sometimes, I looked on it as something situated as far away and as completely without any concern for me, as if it was being played out in China or on another planet. My world was here, in this sick-room, or rather in this chamber of recovery, for I felt myself getting better, and all tended to happiness. End of section 75 Read by Sandra